Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Officers were called out to the scene of what appeared to be a double suicide. The car had been reversed into the small garage. The passenger side was so close to a workbench that the officers couldn't access that side of the vehicle. The driver's side window was open, as was the driver's side door. It was unable to be closed because Trevor's knee was in the way and there was a strong smell of exhaust fumes. The key was in the on position, in the ignition. Trevor was slumped down in the driver's seat. His right hand was resting on the steering wheel and one leg had almost folded beneath him in the footwell while the other was positioned outside the car. Leslie was lying on her back in the boot of the car. The seats were down and the gospel music tape in her cassette player had finished. Next to her body lay three framed photographs, one of Leslie and her mother, another of Leslie, her brother and their father, and the third of Leslie and Colin together. There were no photos of her four children. A layer of soot covered the boot explained by the hosepipe of a vacuum cleaner that was next to Leslie's head and connected to the exhaust. The boot had been closed over the pipe to keep it in place, but as the investigators analysed the scene, they noted that the pipe wasn't actually airtight to the exhaust. Leslie and Trevor were pronounced dead at 2.15pm by a forensic medical officer who saw signs of lividity that suggested they had been dead for at least 12 hours. It seemed as though they both had died in the early hours of the morning. The dentist, his mistress and the murders. The story of Colin Howell, Hazel Buchanan and the tragic death of their innocent partners. Written by Eileen McFarlane. Researcher, Claude Amini. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. A Crime World three-part special. The bodies were brought to Coleraine Hospital's mortuary where post-mortem examinations were conducted by an assistant state pathologist. 
Both Leslie and Trevor were described as being healthy adults and while Leslie had no physical signs of trauma, Trevor had a number of minor injuries. These were abrasions on his knee and some bruising around his mouth, which appeared trivial in nature, especially when the toxicology results came back. They showed that both Leslie and Trevor's blood contained a fatal concentration of carboxyhemoglobin, a clear sign that their cause of death had been carbon monoxide poisoning. Leslie's blood alcohol level was above the legal driving limit and there were also traces of temazepam, diazepam and nordiazepam in her system. Trevor had traces of temazepam in his system, but the levels were considered to be within the therapeutic range and it's widely known that some people will ingest sedatives before committing suicide to reduce their inhibitions. As the police continued to assess the double suicides, the devastating news was delivered to their widowed spouses. Pastor Hansford was alerted to the discovery and he took it upon himself to tell Colin that Leslie and Trevor had been found dead. Colin had a blank expression and seemed to accept the news easily. He went and told the children that their mother was in heaven and would never be coming back and he also called his own parents to let them know. Hazel was in the Macaulay's house when the pastor's wife came to tell her what had happened. She didn't speak much, but she covered her face with her hands while her friends tried to console her. As the community tried to come to terms with the shocking double suicide, they couldn't help but place some blame on the victim's widows, whose actions had seemingly been too much to bear. This wasn't helped by Colin and Hazel's bizarre reactions to the deaths either. Colin had taken the opportunity to play sports and go for fish and chips, while mourners made their way to his house to offer condolences. The church was absolutely stunned by this. But at the same time, Nicola, there were suspicions that, you know, all might not be as it seems. I mean, at one stage, one of the church elders said to Hansford, do you think Carl might have been responsible for this? Do you think he was responsible for this? But stopping short that it had been a murder, Carl always worried that he would be found out fairly quickly. And to be honest, he couldn't believe his luck that he got away with this. He couldn't believe his luck that he got away with this. It was just, I mean, you know... <laughs> Who, would have, who could believe something like that could happen? Who could ever believe something like that could happen? Especially two members of the Baptist Church. In spite of everything, in spite of the, the, this affair, in spite of the, the church being scandalised, who in their right mind would have ever believed that these two people were murdered? So what were they looking for? They were just looking for evidence that they had committed suicide. And I remember there was a note that Howell had planted. This was something that Leslie had written when their when their marriage was in crisis, when she had taken herself off again to take drink and, and, and just basically to dull everything, right? You know, she writes this note, you know, Carl, I know how, how unhappy we've been and all the rest, but, you know, um, but if I ever wake up from this, you know, let this be our secret. So how even then, and this was before he sort of formalised the whole plan, he saw that note and he kept it because Howell being Howell said to himself, well, maybe this is something I can use at some future stage. And he did. And again, 
that added to the whole belief, the firm belief, you know, that these three people took their own lives. Leslie and Trevor's funerals were held on the same day, May 21st, 1991. At the morning service, Leslie's family and friends crowded into the Coleraine Baptist Church. Her casket was by the altar and Colin told his grieving children, Mummy's in there. Leslie was remembered by her friends as a devoted mother with a sharp sense of humour and a disarming friendliness that made it hard not to warm to her. The community felt for her children. Six-year-old Matthew, four-year-old Lauren, two-year-old Daniel and six-month-old Johnny. Trevor's body had been taken directly to the funeral home, which surprised his family, who had presumed the wake would take place in his home. His siblings and parents were stunned by the suicide, and his father found it especially hard to come to terms with how much his son must have been struggling when he took his own life. His father broke down when he saw his son lying in the coffin. And as he put his arms around his youngest boy, he asked him, Why did you do it, son? Why didn't you come to me? Why didn't you come to me? Tensions were high as Trevor's family learned of the affair. Hazel had told them she was sorry and that it was all her fault, but their grief had stunned them so much that they told her it was was okay. The family were also shocked to learn that the aftermath of the affair had been dealt with by the church and not by professionals. They felt that it was problematic that the church had been so involved in what was clearly a serious issue. Trevor's brother, Victor, had been his confidant throughout the turmoil. And Victor later told Derek Henderson, I could not understand why Trevor had suddenly committed suicide knowing the conversations we had and knowing it was the last thing that would have entered his mind. That was from his lips. He always felt he didn't have the guts to do it anyway. He told me, you needn't worry, it's the last thing I would ever consider. We knew how much he loved the children. Trevor had three loves, the Lord, his wife and children, and his work. All in that order. The affection was apparent. It wasn't switched on or switched off. There was no question about his love for Hazel. If he hadn't loved her, he would not have stayed with her. There's absolutely no doubt about that. He wouldn't have endured it one step longer. It was only the love he had for her that he could see beyond all that had gone on. He was prepared to take her back and make a go of it again. When they heard how Trevor had one leg out of the car, they wondered if he'd changed his mind at the last minute or if he'd been overcome by the fumes as he tried to get out of the garage. But despite the reservations, the family, including four serving members of the police force, believed the investigators and church representatives who told them that it was was definitely suicide. One of Trevor's colleagues also expressed that he'd been concerned about Trevor's mental state in the weeks before his death. He'd even reached out to one of the church leaders to tell them he was worried about him. The family felt let down by the church that Trevor had loved so much, particularly when they were told there would not be a service in Coleraine Baptist Church because it had been a suicide. But the family insisted that he was entitled to a funeral mass. The eulogy contained more about how much Hazel loved her husband than the type of man Trevor had been. It barely mentioned their children, 10-year-old Lisa and 9-year-old Andrew. And Hazel didn't appear to be sort of a typical grieving widow. She seemed to be more concerned with her outfits than the bruising seen around Trevor's mouth as he lay in the casket. Her red jacket and short red skirt drew attention from the mourners and for the wrong reasons. 
On the morning of his wife's funeral, Colin called Derek McCauley to one side and tasked him with delivering a letter to Hazel. Derek had suspicions about the contents of the letter, so he steamed it open and made a copy which he passed on to the pastor before he handed it over to Hazel. The pastor had advised Hazel to stay away from Colin, and he had told Colin that he'd be wise to do the same, but Colin couldn't help himself. The letter read, Hazel, the pastor has given me the message from you that you believe it's best that we never get together again. If it's true, ring me and say it's true. Don't allow me to have hope if there's none. You will kill me. I plead with you. If with your mind you're saying no and you must destroy our future, I will not try to change your mind no matter how lonely I get. The pastor told me he will do everything in his power to stop us getting together. He's a very clever man and capable of convincing you our marriage would be a disaster and he will continue to convince you if you remain uncertain. I will deal with the things he used to convince you that our marriage would be a disaster. Your children, I heard Lisa twice say she didn't like me. Well, that's hard. Trevor is gone, so when I come back on the scene in a year's time, she will be in need of a father figure and the threat I used to be will be replaced by need. I will talk to them about Trevor. I will allow Andrew to cut the grass and do manly things his father did. They will be so loved by me that the difficulties which there will be will be overcome and sorted out. Your grief? I think we have underestimated this response in our hearts. During this time, we must not see or talk to each other. When we miss each other, we must look at their things and photographs and concentrate on our grief. I miss Leslie, and I'm sorry for all the sins I've done to her. I must grieve for that. Once it's gone, we can give ourselves to each other. Your family? If enough time passes and they see how much I care for you and will look after you, they will accept both of us. All they will worry about is your happiness and that you have someone who loves you. They don't know me. To them, I'm the one who made the daft phone call that caused so much trouble. I'm the one who got you to this position. My family said they would accept you if you loved me. The most important thing is that we must wait a long time. For the sake of the church, we must not make contact while we are both in Coleraine. If you decide we can be together, then we must both leave eventually. If in your heart, Hazel, you really think it's over for us, then you must say it. If you can say without doubt that we can overcome these problems given by the pastor, then say yes to me and don't look back. We will meet with the pastor and tell him our plans. We will ask him to counsel us if he agrees. We will be honest and open and not secretive. We will lose many friends who won't accept us, but we can walk down the street together, proud of each other, because from now on, we are forgiven and we will be disciplined and will honour God. And we won't lose all our friends if we take our time. I have taken a mother from my children, but God will provide for them and I only hope and pray it can be you. But only if you can accept in your mind as well as your heart. Love, Colin. Colin played the part of a devastated husband quite well, but his actions deceived him. He tried to give Leslie's possessions away to her family and friends under the guise of it being what she would have wanted, but he even sold her car within a week. Within a couple of months, the relationship between Colin and Hazel resumed, but it was not the same as before. Hazel had begun to withdraw from the community and from Colin. She felt as though everyone knew she was to blame for Trevor and Leslie's death, and in time, they both moved away from Coleraine Baptist Church. And how 
he was desperate to um, move on and he wanted to marry Hazel. And he said, listen, why don't we go to Scotland? Why don't we go and live in Scotland? I can buy two practices over there. And, you know, it seemed like a great idea, certainly from his point of view. But she resisted. She didn't want to do this. And it was then that, that, that she'd said to herself, well, you know, I've had enough of this man. He was very good to her. He would give her money and she was never short of money. And, you know, he looked after her needs. And then she's now, I remember, she's claiming her husband's pension because he's no longer there. And, and all seemed fairly well. But there was the guilt thing with her was really kicking in. At night there, she would tell the children that were sitting at home, wouldn't it be great if Daddy walked in now? This was a woman who was in complete denial, but she must have been living through an absolute nightmare because she's harboring this awful secret. And she's always fearful that how would some stage spill the beans. She always worried about that because she herself had decided, you know, if they ever find out about this, I'd take my own life. Almost a year after Leslie and Trevor's bodies were found in the garage at the Twelve Apostles, an inquest into their deaths was held in the coroner's court in Coleraine. The lead detective compiled a coroner's inquest report which included statements from Colin and Hazel detailing their affair, which at first they said had not continued after they were caught, but they later admitted that it had. Statements from the pastor, neighbours and those who had found the victims were also read. The inquest report concluded that the deaths were brought about as the result of an affair by the spouses of the victims initially over the period of March to October 1990, and indeed afterwards, even up until the time of the suicide incident. Neither of the suicide victims, despite reconciliation attempts by the church being made principally by Pastor Hansford, could come to terms with their spouse's infidelity. Leslie Howell had made previous suicide attempts and was most likely the motivating factor in both of them taking their lives. The inquest verdict was that Leslie and Trevor had died from carbon monoxide poisoning in an intentional self-inflicted act prompted by the emotional upset caused by difficulties within their own marriages. Colin felt as though he was free to move on with his life and he quickly removed any reminders of Leslie from the house and stopped speaking to the children about her. Hazel was consumed by guilt and although she continued to meet with Colin, she felt unable to resume their sexual relationship. But Colin soon found a way around that. While Hazel was having dental work done with nitrous oxide gas at his practice, he realised that her libido had increased and her inhibitions had all but vanished under the influence. They continued this ritual a number of times at his dental practice, allowing Colin to be sexually satisfied and allowing Hazel to absolve herself of the guilt she felt continuing their sinful relationship. This later escalated to intravenous sedation and Colin would have sex with Hazel while she was in and out of consciousness. The relationship continued for almost five years. They went on family holidays together and Colin asked Hazel to move to Scotland with them so they could raise their children as one family, but she refused. She didn't think she could love his children as she loved her own and eventually she began seeing someone else behind Colin's back. 
1996, she left him. And, you know, here they were, and they were continuing to have sex, right? And the whole guilt thing kicked in again, and, she, and it, was a, it was a dysfunctional relationship. And she just felt he'd become such a dominant individual in her life that she just didn't want it anymore. She'd had enough. And she meets uh, a young man who, who she'd met when she was a, a teenager in Portrush. And she starts a relationship with him, but it's a, a very tight uh, relationship. She, you know, she doesn't want anything to do with his children, but he was always there to do the work that Trevor had done previously, like things that jobs around the house, things that needed to be done. He would take her away on a holiday, but you know they would have basically stayed in separate beds. There was no um, emotional contact as such. He was a means to an end. He was convenient. She basically strung him along and until she'd found and she cheated on him and they were, they were at a concert in Dublin one night where it all came to an end, where it came to a head. There was a, and, you know, it was then that he realised that uh, she was going behind his back the same way she'd gone behind the back of her husband and she'd met this guy called David Stewart, a retired police officer and one of the local gyms. David Stewart would have been aware of Trevor Buchanan, but as far as David Stewart was concerned, Trevor Buchanan had taken his own life. He wanted to marry Hazel, and she initially said no. Uh, and when they became engaged, I mean, the, the police colleagues of, of David Stewart had said to him, listen, are you sure about this? You know, here was a, here was a, a woman who had, who had been unfaithful, and uh, and whose life and whose husband had taken his own life as a result of her unfaithfulness. Are you sure you should go through with this marriage? But he was besotted by this woman, totally besotted by her, and eventually she agreed that she would marry him. It didn't take long, however, for Colin to find someone else. Hal being Hal, being the womanizer that he was, uh, this very good-looking American lady arrives on the scene. And at this, this stage, he's now uh, running a crowd called the Barn Christian Fellowship, uh, another sort of religious faction, which you only find up on the North Coast. This American lady who comes over to Northern Ireland to do a degree at the University of Ulster attends one of the meetings, and Howell becomes instantly attracted to her, and um, eventually they marry. A girl called Kyle Jorgensen, He'd been married previously and had been in a in a fairly abusive relationship. And you know, Hal was the love of her life, sapple in her eye, and they went on to have five or six children together, lived very comfortably in a lovely house uh, overlooking Castle Rock. I mean, you know, they had an awful lot of mouths to feed. He's a good lifestyle. Uh, there's plenty of money. You remember, um, he, he gets all of Leslie's or had all of Leslie's uh, money from, from her estate. He's selling off his business. Um, he's a good dentist by all accounts. And, you know, if you go to see how to get work done, he'll tell you, you know, well, you know, it's always one of three ways of doing this. 
you know, treatment A, treatment B, treatment C, and treatment A is going to cost you this, treatment B is going to cost you this, and treatment C is going to cost you this. And he paid money up front. So he, was, he, was, he, he wasn't short of money. In December of 1996, he met Kyle Jorgensen, an American woman who'd come to Northern Ireland to study Irish at the University of Ulster. They married five months later. In 1998, after having dinner at home, Colin confessed to Jorgensen. He told her about how he'd murdered Leslie and Trevor seven years before. Jorgensen was terrified, but she didn't go to the police and it would take more than 10 years for the truth to finally come out. And she was absolutely shocked. And she thought, you know, is he one of those Irish terrorists that I've been reading about when I lived in America? Is Hal one of those type of people? After Leslie's death was ruled a suicide, Colin had received the money his first wife had inherited from her father, a total of £400,000. He got involved in this crazy scheme or had heard about it through the church of gold that was buried in the Philippines during the Second World War. And they had found it and they were going to retrieve it, but it was going to cost them money. So Hal starts to fire off. I think a total of maybe £300,000 to buy into this scheme, which was going to make him super rich. You think he was going to make about £10 million out of this, and this was going to keep him for the rest of his life, and to the lifestyle he was used to and all the rest. He'd been to India a couple of times, you know, to visit orphanages and that sort of stuff and do charitable work. And he'd meet every Thursday in one of the local hotels and with his Baptist friends for coffee and put the words to write and life was fairly good at this stage. So Hal, as I said, got involved in the scheme to recover the gold in the Philippines. And uh, he said he's invested something like uh, £300,000 and he's waiting for his return. And um, he decides to take himself off, goes to Manila with one of his friends uh, from the church, um, stays in an hotel, and arranged to meet the people who are involved in the scheme. And they come to the hotel and they push across the table an old uh, ammunition box. Hoyle opens it expecting to find a bar of gold. Right, you know, and this, is, this, this is, I'm hitting the jackpot here, right? And it's full of rubbish. And it's then he knows that he's been conned. And that's the point that he realised he was a con and he had been conned by other people. And that was the moment that Hall came to realise that his life had been a fraud, he had been a fraud. He'd lived a, a dreadful life, he'd done some terrible things. And he comes home and he tells Kyle that he's lost everything. Everything's gone. And that's when she said, Colin, you need to tell the truth. Tell the truth. The truth will set you free. So that was the point. That was the tipping point, Nicola, where Hal said, right, I can't go on like this. So when his wife said to him, listen, you need to deal with this. You need to bring this to a head. The elders were called to the house one morning. And Hal happened to have the children off to school. Um, they'd come in and sit down with him. Now they're expecting Hal to tell them, listen, I've been I've been unfaithful again. I've been I'm continuing to watch porn, and um, 
I need, I need help here. Little did they realize what was coming next when he said, listen, in 1991, I murdered my wife and Trevor Buchanan. And they just sat there completely gobsmacked. The police are called. He's arrested. Take him to Coleraine Police Station. Hazel, meanwhile, was now married to David Stewart and living in the style which he always yearned for. Absolute luxury in a beautiful home outside Coleraine. Ironically, she had a dental appointment that afternoon. When the police called at the house, they asked uh, where she was. David told them um, she's having an appointment with her dentist. I'll ring her and tell her that you're here. I want to speak to her. And they said, no, 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 don't do that. Because the police knew that if she knew that they were waiting for her, she would have driven over a cliff and she wouldn't have come back. She comes back home. She's arrested, taken to Coleraine Police Station. And even then, she doesn't realise the significance of this. Because the first thing she says, when am I getting home? How long will I be here for? Even though she's been brought in to be questioned about a crime that was committed, what, 20 years previously. People thought it was a, a suicide. Well, it wasn't. It was two murders. She was going to be tormented by this awful secret for the rest of her living days. Right? And no, she would say, well, I didn't physically harm my husband. I didn't physically kill my husband. You know, she could never accept the fact that, yes, she facilitated it. She didn't do that. She, she, she didn't physically uh, um, murder her husband, but she facilitated it. But even then, she says, well, I didn't do any wrong. It was Harold. He was to blame. He was the one who initiated this whole crime, and he was the one who uh, uh, um, carried it out. So I didn't do anything wrong. Why are you blaming me for it? Why am I being charged? Why me? Why me? And so still, even to this day, that's the view she holds. Why me? Colin quickly confessed his crimes. He admitted the double murder of Leslie Howell and Trevor Buchanan in 1991. He told them about losing the money in the Philippines. And he confessed to indecently assaulting multiple other women while they were heavily sedated in his dentist's chair. He was sentenced to life in prison to serve a minimum of 21 years. Hazel Stewart was also sentenced to life in prison to serve a minimum of 18 years. They both remain incarcerated today. The Dentist, His Mistress and the Murders. The story of Colin Howell, Hazel Buchanan and the tragic death of their innocent partners. Written by Eileen McFarlane. Researcher, Claude Amini. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. A Crime World three-part special. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.
Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.